We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato. want to address a couple things at the top of the show. Unfortunately, I am dealing with some kind of nasty sickness. I don't think it's COVID because I don't have any of the COVID symptoms and I've tested negative for COVID now twice, though. Someone has told me probably more accurately that these days it's hard to test accurately for COVID because there's like 70,000 variants and who knows what those tests are. Uh, account for um, but I'm just hoping it's not but either way I'm really struggling um, hard to sleep so it's hard for me to do this right now it's going to be a Nick centric show which I know some of you will be pumped about anyway and I also want to address this other thing that I've seen that people have been complaining a lot about which is my mic loudness so apparently some people think that I'm just actively moving in and out and away from the mic I can assure you that's not what I'm doing I have listened. I hear what you guys are hearing. Sometimes my mic sounds louder than other times. This is an issue with the mic. I bought this mic at the top of the year, but it's taken a beating. I've traveled with it a lot because when I go on trips for work or for fun, I bring the mic so me and Nick can record podcasts. There's really no dead time of the year as far as recording podcasts goes. And what I've noticed is the mic has taken a beating and it's not working as well as it was. So I can assure you that I'm not moving away to or from or 17 feet away and then rushing back in so it sounds louder or weaker at times. What I can also show you is that I am researching and I'm going to buy another mic. So I'm going to upgrade my mic choice. So hopefully that will fix it. But just know that that's not like so some podcast. Uh, some Someone gave us a two-star review, which just sucks to see, literally because they think I'm moving in and out and away from the mic, which unfortunately that sucks for us because it really hurts us. But I can assure you that's not what I'm doing. But I do know what you're saying at the same time. My voice does sound louder at times than others. So I, what I can assure you is that I'm working to fix it by purchasing a better and new mic. That, And I'll take this old one on the journeys with me across season. So there will be some episodes where you'll probably get the in and out stuff. So I'm not going to try to bring the good mic on trips so this doesn't happen again. But just want to address that at the top of the show. And Nick, how are you doing today? Hopefully better than me, my friend. Yeah, I feel better, Dan. That's really unfortunate that you caught that sickness at that wedding, my friend. So hopefully you had a good time, though. It was a great time, honestly, at the wedding. And I'm happy to hear no one else from it yet has caught it. So I said this might have been, it's weird to say it might have been before the wedding because it, it developed like the Monday after the wedding. Um, just been rough. It's been two sleepless nights, basically, because it's just chills, feverish type symptoms, but no actual fever yet. Just a really weird situation because you're not going to get better unless you sleep so hopefully tonight will be that and i'll be doing better but glad to hear you're doing better over there in arizona nick it's been a very fun last month for me i've been away for a lot vegas wedding trips so you know i'm happy to get back on the grind this is the time of the year we got one more week till training camp i know some rookies the rookies have reported today but really the action starts in a week so i'm excited to actually cover football and you know giants training camp this could be a a more exciting year than people think and today we're going to cover 
going to continue with our position previews, and we're going to cover a combined unit, the defensive line. So that will be the outside backers, the edge rushers, which some people would have thought, thought maybe in the linebacker uh, episode, but no, especially in Wink's defense, I want to cover them here. And then the interior guys, the guys like Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence's. So we're going to dive into all of this unit, and I want to start by saying this, Nick, 30,000 foot view. When you just look at the roster, because this is something I was thinking about before we started to do this show. I feel pretty good about where the Giants are at when you think of both experience, youth, or these three things, experience, youth, and talent, and also proven production. It's not across the board right now, but all those factors, all those three things combined, I feel like the Giants have a really good mix of that right now with their edge group and with their interior group. How are you feeling about these units? I'm probably more confident about the edge and interior group than I am about the rest of the roster in terms of depth. I mean, if you were to look at the secondary, I don't know if it applies specifically to the cornerback position, but since we're focusing on the edge and the defensive line, you have guys like Justin Ellis, who are about 31 years old, has been around, knows this system, older type of player, but he can anchor the middle of the defense if you want him to play one shade or zero. And then you have Dexter Lawrence, who you can put at defensive end. You can also align him inside if you choose to do so. Leonard Williams is a very productive player, good run defender, somebody who had 11 and a half sacks, not last year, but the year before that, and took a little slight dip. And it's kind of funny, though, man. I agree with what you're saying, but then I also looked at it and... Dexter Lawrence is somebody who is, what, 24 years old? And we kind of view him now as a veteran. His fifth-year option was just picked up. I still look at him as 2019 first-round pick, 17th overall. Yet, there are young guys who are going to be looking up to him. And that also applies to the secondary. I mean, like, a Dory Jackson's, like, 26 years old right now. And he is, like, the pure veteran in that secondary. There's no more Logan Ryan. There's no more Jabril Peppers. There's no more of James Bradbury. A lot of this team has a lot of young veterans. Xavier McKinney, young veteran. Even freaking Aaron Robinson is a second-year player, yet he is the second cornerback right here. And There's going to be some young guys who might be looking up to him. I think this is a pretty unique mix of guys who are older, the veterans, like the Justin Ellis's, but some of these veterans, quote-unquote, are even like they're 24, 25 years old. They're young guys. It's really funny. I think it's a good point, Nick. It speaks a lot to where the NFL is moving, in my mind, at least, because these days, like the age of a veteran, quote unquote, is is getting younger and younger. It's not just the running back position where you've seen such a drop off in age. It's really across the board. Secondary is a great example. Adoree Jackson was a good point. And, you know, the days of teams doing things like what the Giants did a couple years ago with Logan Ryan, which is like pick him up at age 29 then re-sign him, you know, at eight on the wrong at thirty on the wrong side of thirty. Those are go, those days are going away. Like you'll still see the Patriots do it with like a uh, with a Devin McCourty type a couple of years back. Like has to be the really truly proven types who just know that specific system in and out. You know, you're not switching systems. You know that these guys are going to produce despite their advanced age. But you're seeing teams move in such a youth direction. The Giants being one of them, and I think that's going to continue under Joe Shane. I think he understands the importance of that in a league like this where. It's really what have you done for me lately? And and as you know, as the joke always goes, not for long NFL. It is not for long. You don't really want to make these major investments in guys that are on the older side. You know, the, you know the older sides of their careers. Logan Ryan was a great example of that. The Giants really regret that as they pay dead cap for that this year. Um, and you know, it'll be interesting to see how they make that decision moving forward with a player like Blake Martinez next year, especially if he plays as well as I think he can within this system. Is that'll be a good example of putting that, you know, putting it to the fire, putting that that theory to the test, depending on what they want to do there, especially because they didn't really exactly find, in my mind, at least a future replacement. I like Micah McFadden. I like his upside, but I like him not in a Blake Martinez role. I don't think he can ever be that that, you know, that rely on him at all times. Middle linebacker. I think they still need to find that guy. Um, and that's to say he definitely can't be that. I think you're just. It's a it's less likely, you know, that you're going to get that out of a fifth round pick, a late fifth round or whatever they took in the fifth round. So just interesting to see the Giants move with that youth movement. And you made a good point, like Dexter Lawrence. We look at Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, these veterans, these surefire things. And I think, Nick, you did a great job a couple of days ago. Maybe it was yesterday or today. And my mind has been a total blur with, the, with what I've been dealing with. But of just showing what the, you know, the little things, the dirty work that Williams and Lawrence do from a run defense standpoint, just having those guys in the middle. I know they're considered veterans, although they're younger. Those veterans of this line. They're a big reason why I have so much confidence in this unit because the, the dirty work that they do 
it can work in any system. It worked in Patrick Graham's system. It worked in the system before. And I think it could be even more beneficial in a system like this one with Wink Martindale because you're going to, because they're going to allow those second level guys and those edge guys that we're going to talk about on this podcast that we're pretty excited about to do their job. Yeah. There's going to be so many schemed pressures of like two versus one and things like that. And a lot of, I'm sure Wink Martindale will scheme a lot of one versus one matchups, depending on alignment from pre to post snap for guys like Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari. And then it will just come down to those specific players beating a tackle or something like that, or even beating a guard if they're slanting inside on a twist. I think Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams will have a pretty big role terms of rushing the passer i don't know how much of it will bear out in sacks because i think a lot of it might be like them just occupying blockers or being the penetrator on a twist or something along those lines but their skill sets will be leveraged and i think this is the type of coordinator and andre patterson is the type of defensive line coach that you want to at least maximize what these guys can offer the new york giants leonard williams 28 years old dexter lawrence i believe he is 24 years old you can still get a lot out of these two so i'm looking forward to what they can offer in 2022 yeah and speaking of that i'm curious to get your take on you know you've heard like if you listen to some of the behind the scenes stuff on giants.com you you heard Wink Martindale say, look, we're going to, we're going to dictate to the offense a lot, right? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to blitz. We're going to pressure. We're going to send those extra guys. He's like, there will be some times for the four man pass rushes, but the days of, you know, the Giants defense sending for and, and doing different things with the, with the back seven and coverage, those days are over for the most part. Yeah. Again, no team can, <laughs> no team is never going to run that. It's the NFL. You're, there's going to be some four man pass uh, pressure packages. There's going to probably even be some some from time to time three man pressure packages with with what Wink's going to do. He wants to keep the defense off guard or the offense off guard. He doesn't want them to just be able to to, to guess and to have an educated guess on everything they're going to do. But having said that, do you think that this is the type of system that can unlock? Because we've been always talking about right, like. Can Dexter Lawrence get to the next level as a pass rusher, as an individual pass rusher? This is something I've been wanting to see in his game since he was drafted. I thought it was possible based on what I saw in his Clemson tape, because I felt like there was a chance he could just be that really, you know, unlock his hips and just be somebody at that weight, at that size, with that kind of athleticism that can beat guards. And I just feel like I haven't seen it very often at the NFL level. Leonard Williams. I think part of the reason we didn't see it as much last year was because of he had more attention paid to him. But now you're talking about a defense where, like you said, there's going to be one-on-one matchups schemed for edge guys like Aziz Ojolari and like Kayvon Thibodeau. So does that mean that we can see potentially more from a pass rushing standpoint, one-on-one, you know, their ability to shine through from those big two, from the Lawrence and, and Leonard Williams combo? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think you could. I think it's looking at the defensive line for the Baltimore Ravens last season. The defensive lineman who had the most pressures was Calais Campbell. He had 31. He only got home once. And then the next one was Justin Matabuke at 13. Justin Matabuke drafted at Texas A&M a few years back. He's somebody who has really, really 
quick, a really, really quick first step and his lateral agility. So when you align him over the top of a center or over the top of the guard, he can get to the half man really easily and then put stress or force double teams, et cetera. I think Leonard Williams is probably going to play somewhat of a Calais Campbell role, but I think you're also, that doesn't mean he's just going to be playing, you know, from guard to guard. I think you're going to see a little bit, you might hear my dog, that's fine. You're going to see a little bit of Calais Campbell outside on the edge. I think you're going to see some moving around. And I think similar to Dexter Lawrence. Now, in terms of them rushing the passer, I think a lot of the pressures and the sacks will be from the edge rushers. Now, it depends on what you mean with Dexter Lawrence, right? Because I think if Dexter Lawrence, and this is easy to say for really anybody, if he had three more sacks, we would be completely content with what he did. He had, what, two and a half sacks last season, but he still had 43 pressures as a six foot four, 342 pound defensive lineman in his third season. That's still somewhat impressive. Like, I want to see a little bit more specifically because this was a first round pick and we're not necessarily getting that right now from him in terms of him rushing the pass. But 43 pressures is pretty damn solid. And there were two games where he was pretty dominant in terms of dictating and just taking advantage of offensive lines. And that was the Chargers game, an Atlanta game, not a great offensive line. He had six pressures in the Chargers game and five pressures in the Atlanta game. So maybe you want to see it a little bit more consistently from Dexter Lawrence, but I think he offers more than just the the, the run-stuffing type of moniker that he's kind of been slapped in. Great point, Nick, because I was just looking at some of the guys that I look to as consistent guys who can win as gap penetrators, gap shooters, as interior defensive linemen that need to be game-planned against. The guys that I think are worth investing in because they affect the pass on a consistent basis. And Jeffrey Simmons is certainly one of them. I mean, really, after Aaron Donald, to me, he's the second one. Like, he comes up next for me. As far as just watching games, the the, the the few film, you know, the few games I've seen on film from the Titans and just watching them on TV as well, I don't think you really even need at times the All-22 to see what kind of impact he makes. And he, he really only had a few more pressures. He had 58 pressures uh, over a similar, you know, amount of snap. He did have 12 tackles for loss and eight and a half sacks. He did a better job of converting those pressures into sacks. But like you said, he I, Lawrence did a better job. And like you said, there's those two games he kind of, I don't want to say took over, but showed signs of being able to take over. I'm just curious if maybe now it'll the job will get easier for him, right? Because it's not like just four men rushing and, and the rest dropping into coverage on such a consistent basis like we saw with the Patrick Graham defense. And so it's it's him, it's Leonard Williams. I wonder if their jobs just get a little easier from a pass rushing standpoint because that will make things a lot better. Because if you have those two guys, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari on the field for majority of the snaps, like I, I honestly think they will be. And I don't know that for sure. There could be more of a rotation to keep fresh than we're anticipating, especially in the, with that edge group. I'm not exactly sure how Wink's going to do that. I think a lot of that depends on the development of some of those guys, specifically like an Ellerson Smith type. Um, and even more so like the players they drafted this year. I wonder if they can step in and play a big role. But if not, let's say those guys are on the field for majority of snaps. It's offering something they didn't have last year. Like Ezejo Jolari in year two to me is going to be a much better player than he was in year one, not just because he put on the 10 pounds of muscle and looks like he's in great shape. Because he learned a lot, his and he learned how to get better, and he now is just adjusted the speed of the game. And to me, Kayvon Thibodeau is going to hit the ground running. I think there's not the traits that he has in my mind translate to year one impact. I don't think he needs to really adjust the speed of the game. He brings different speed to the game in my mind. So another point I want to make about just production because production can be overvalued sometimes in a system that Wink Martindale runs. He brings a lot of five, six man pressures. So there could be times where Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence execute exactly what they have to do, exactly what their coach to do by Wink Martindale. Yet it doesn't show up as a pressure and it doesn't show up as a sack. It's just, they engage two blockers and the fact that they engaged a blocker to their left allowed a, a someone who was disguised to blitz pre-snap to come in unabated and then get a sack. So you might see more sack numbers for Julian Love and Xavier McKinney and Darnay Holmes and Dane Belton. And Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence might not get credit for that, but they still executed their role exactly the way that they were supposed to, to allow that to happen. And I think that's important. And that's one thing that we should also consider. And we'll talk about this throughout the season on our all 22 breakdowns extensively. So please listen to all of those, but I do think that's going to be a big part of this system for Wink Martindale. That's a great point. Some of the, like on any given snap on any given play, really the credit, who the credit belongs to is so it's looks so different in the box score than it does on the film. And and that's something that we try to do in those all 22 reviews. That's, you know, something that I feel like I'm learning from every year. Every time we do this, I try to get learn more and more from that standpoint, but you're right. The, the, the total sacks, the total, all these different, 
these metrics that you can use after after the year they don't fully encompass what you're what you're seeing or what you're getting and especially from a defense like this one that we're expecting at least which is going to be so pressure heavy uh, my question uh, let's let's move on to this as far as the how this new unit is going to look uh, both interior and then on the edges how do you expect the giants run defense to look in this season cuz i would say this Last year, the Giants' run defense was not what it was the season before. I think there are two major reasons for that. The first being Blake Martinez was replaced on a near snap-by-snap basis by Tate Crowder. A massive downgrade in my mind on the tape. And anyone who really watches the Giants' film would agree with that. The other one being they lost a player like Peppers, who, in my opinion, played a big role in that run game. He was a gap. He was the, the alley defender, the alley filler. And they had other guys to kind of step in and play a decent role in that. I know Logan Ryan did an okay job when he was asked to do it okay at best in my mind but just not having that presence there i thought it made a difference as well but now they're really changing the system and it's going to be just a totally different thing you're going from a coordinator who used so much zone with with patrick graham and a lot of cover three and now you're going to someone who's the total opposite almost so how will the run defense impact because one i think the personnel will upgrade obviously with blake back uh, but and maybe dane belton can help in that regard we'll see on that front but two, I feel like there's been one consistent way to beat the Giants in the run game. And I'm curious if you think that can be improved or it's going to be just as much of a liability. What your thoughts are schematically there, Nick? And that's been on the outside. Beating the Giants with outside runs has been something that I've seen affect this run defense for years now. Um, really two straight years at the minimum. Do you think that that... So what are your thoughts on those two things? So Baltimore finished top seven in every season in terms of opponent rushing yards against since Wink Martindale was the defensive coordinator. Now, there are a variety of reasons why that happened, one of them being the fact that you had Lamar Jackson as your quarterback and a run-centric offense that liked to possess the ball, and that offense was also able to create explosive plays, creating leads, which forced the opposing offense to throw the football a little bit more. But another reason is because Wink Martindale ran a lot of of middle-of-the-field closed, single-high safety looks, which allows you to bring a safety down into the box. Now you align in too high a lot because it kind of gives you a lot of ambiguity and diversity in the coverages that you can run. But Wink Martindale likes to run a lot of man coverage. Now it's not exclusively man coverage, but there will be a lot of man coverage. So you can put that single high safety there, drop another safety closer to the box, and then you can kind of gap out your defense. So each gap is accounted for by your defense. And that's going to help in theory secure the running game or at least the opposing offense's running game. So I think the Giants are probably going to be pretty damn good against the run. But how much of the potential liability of the secondary is going to force Wink Martindale to align in too high, making the defense a little bit more susceptible to the run? I think that is something that we might have to worry about. We saw last year, Dan, with the Baltimore Ravens, they had so many injuries in the secondary that they kept running man coverage and kept trying to do different things defensively. They could never find a rhythm and they got torched by quarterbacks like Joe Burrow, but they were still able to stop the run because they were able to gap out. They had guys like Calais Campbell. They had a lot of skilled players up front. I, but to circle back to your question, I think the Giants are going to be good against the run this season. I think having Blake Martinez back, huge upgrade. I think they will be able to stop those outside runs because you add players like Kayvon Thibodeau, who can set a firm freaking edge. I think if you want to align in tight front, which we're going to see a little bit, spill everything outside, you have those edge rushers and those aggressive secondary pieces who like to tackle. Julian Love, incredibly tough player, loves to tackle. Dane Belton in college, he set the edge for Iowa quite a bit. He can come in, he can tackle. I don't think they're going to be susceptible against run. I think they'll be a solid run team, but they might have to adjust their defense to account for the fact that they're not that strong on the back end. And that could maybe mess things up, but we'll have to kind of tackle that whenever the season starts. Yeah, that's the big question. I think you nailed it, Nick. They have an idea for what they want to do schematically. And I think you're right. Like this, this scheme, which is what I was getting to. And I'm glad you said that because it makes me feel so much better. The scheme will aid the run game and it will, or the run defense for the giants. I think we'll see an improvement there. That was never, I don't want to say it was never, it was never, so it was never a major plus under Patrick Graham, but also wasn't never like it wasn't ever a major liability with the exception of the outside run. There were some teams that destroyed the Giants with that. I know the the Cardinals, for example, two years ago just destroyed the Giants run defense schematically. They figured it out. Cliff Kingsbury did a great job there. I don't like to give Cliff, 
Cliff credit because in my opinion, he doesn't really deserve it as a coach, but he had a really good game plan for that game. And you saw Chase Edmonds that go off in that game. And then Baltimore, you know, I think it was either one week or two weeks later, did something very similar to the Giants and just absolutely destroyed them with that same scheme. And I, and it's always been something where I've been like, I'm surprised teams didn't really try that as much against the Giants last year. A big reason why those teams were able to run outside was because if you remember back to the 2020 season, something that Patrick Graham was running a lot, and now we're starting to see it proliferate around the NFL a little bit more, was the tight front. We talk about it a lot here, whether that's you know uh, two four eyes and a nose or two three and a nose. And by four eye, I mean you're on the inside shoulder of the tackle is your pre-snap alignment. So whatever it was, and three technique is just on the outside shoulder of the the guard. So when you have that, if you run counter type of plays, you can block those guys down and then right. kick backside backside blockers, whether that be a tight end or even a tackle or a guard or a guard and tackle, whatever you want to do, to the front side of the play. And then you have an edge rusher and then an alley defender and a secondary guy against all these big dudes, and you can kind of attack the outside. So that was one reason, one of the reasons why those teams were successful. And also in that Baltimore game, if I remember correctly, David Mayo was like the starting edge rusher. Yeah. It was like David Mayo... <laughs> And like Jabal Sheer. Yeah. <laughs> so like it, there was liabilities out there. And the fact <laughs> that the Giants aligned in the, the, the outside portions of their defense were compromised. So the tight front was kind of just, <laughs> it just got kind of taken away from the Giants because teams were just attacking them outside and they didn't have the personnel out there to really defend it. That's where I thought you were going to go to first. I thought you were going to be like, Dan, I, I don't think you're remembering, but we did have like David Mayo at the edge for that game. I remember that. They were really getting <laughs> shallow at that point at linebacker at that second level. That was just, there was just no depth. I think they've done a good job. And Dave Gettleman's crew deserves credit too, because he brought in Aziz Ojolari and potentially, we hope, Ellerson Smith. Um, and, you know, and maybe even Quincy Roche, if he can, if he can fit in with the new system and, and improve on what we saw on a limited basis. But obviously, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau is a huge addition, but they've really replenished that group. And I think that's so important, especially now that they're having this kind of defense, because remember, we look at it last year. Yes, the Baltimore Ravens found different players to get different pressures, but literally uh, half of them, more than 50% of their pressures, their 277 total pressures came from three players and they were all edge rushers. Oa, Bauer, and Justin Houston. That was 50% of their pressures, three edge rushers. So this is still a defense that is going to rely on, like Nick said at the top of this podcast, the main principle of this defense is getting one-on-ones based on, you know, using extra guys in the pass rush for these edge guys, for the Kayvon Thibodeau. He will be the one they mostly want to get these at one-on-ones for Aziz Ojolari. And then for some guy, that I'm going to we're going to we're going to get to soon at some point, Nick. And I want to I want to table this right now. I want to get your your thought on that. But before I do that, actually, let's go there now and then I'll circle back. I'll try to remember because I had another thing I want to talk to you about that you brought up that I thought was really interesting. A um, little bit of a different kind of conversation, though. So let's let's say that let's say the Giants try to mimic something similar to what we've seen in Baltimore. Who do you think outside of those two, Aziz and Kayvon Thibodeau, could end up being that big, that third guy, that like that, that extra edge guy that ends up getting a ton of pressures, has you know a ton of production, and unexpectedly, in some sense, that you know it wasn't there last year. It wasn't like this is, it's not Aziz Ojolari who was taken in the second round and really should have been a first rounder, or you know Kayvon Thibodeau. See, I think you want me to say Ellerson Smith, and part of me wants to say that, but I just haven't seen. A lot right. of Ellerson Smith. I mean, nobody really has. The guy played in 2019, had a fantastic season at freaking Northern Iowa, and then he didn't get to play in 2020, went down to the Senior Bowl, had a good blew the combine up, and then he only played limited snaps last year as a fourth-round pick. Now, I like Ellerson Smith, but we have to see it kind of, you know, play out in training camp. So I'm going to be a little patient there. I did like what I saw from Quincy Roche. Now, it wasn't perfect, and I put maybe like two weeks ago some of his run defense clips and all of his pressures up on, on on Twitter if anybody wants to scroll down the feed and find it. And there's a lot of impressive plays there from Quincy Roche, but it wasn't the most consistent thing. But he's also a rookie who was claimed off of Pittsburgh's practice squad, or at least when they were trying to slip him into their practice squad. So I, if I had to bet right now, I would probably say Quincy Roche. I'm just curious if Quincy Roche is going to be able to consistently drop in the coverage. Now, if you remember when we had Ken McCusick on the podcast a couple months back, he talked about the importance of having Sam linebackers, essentially guys who can pin their ears back, rush the passer, guys who can play man coverage on tight ends, drop into the flat, drop into the middle hook, and just execute a lot of different roles. That's what Tyus Bowser did for them. Tyus Bowser had 40 right. freaking pressures last year, eight sacks. Everyone talks about Adafi Owe and Justin Houston and Calais Campbell. No one really talks about Tyus Bowser, but Tyus Bowser was a pivotal part 
of that defense. And I'm looking, I think Kayvon Thibodeau is going to probably be that tie as Bowser rule, but he has, you know, OA too. And I don't, I don't know if it's going to just translate like this is exactly what I did in Baltimore. This is exactly what we're going to do in New York. But I'm not 100% certain if Quincy Roche is versatile enough to drop into coverage as much as someone like a Tyus Bowser, who dropped into coverage 218 times last year, whereas OA and Houston dropped into coverage 26 times. I know Kayvon Thibodeau can, but is that the best way to utilize Kayvon Thibodeau? And I think that is the conversation that we should be having. That's an interesting point, right? It's like, well, Thib- it's good. Thibodeau might be their best option with both in both areas. And it's like, how do you want to use him, right? He's probably their only guy they can really trust to operate in that in that bow uh, in that Bauer role. Uh, but at the same time, you know, or Bowser role, but at the same time, do you want to use him like that when he also is probably the guy who can give you the best chance as, a, as just a straight up, you know, in the OA role or whatever it may be uh, that they kind of used uh, OA in last year, who, by the way, was just unbelievably impressive. I remember that I wanted him for the Giants, but looks like they hit on another one there in Baltimore. Good for them. But at the same time, I feel like Thibodeau can be that exact hit and more for the Giants. So I'm really excited about him. But I want to ask you if somebody like a, a sleeper here, I kind of feel like a sleeper to play a bigger role than people are, are talking about right now is actually Jihad Ward, who I know he's an older veteran type at this point, um, even though I did like him coming into the draft when that was out of, out of Illinois. But I know he has some experience with the system. I know he knows he has a good idea of what they want to do. Do you think he could play a bigger role than people are giving him credit for right now? He hasn't really been talked about much. Like I know Roche hasn't had much buzz either. Ellerson Smith's kind of the fun one to talk about. Like, you know, you think about, Oh, what could things be with Ellerson? But could Jahad Ward end up having a bigger role than we expect in the, uh, within this group as a pass rusher or in terms of just being, just, run just being on the field. Yeah. Either in either role. I think the thing that I like the most about Jahad Ward, other than the fact that he knows this system, is the fact that he is like 290 freaking pounds and like six foot five, and you can align him on the edge, and he's not going to be a complete stiff out there for you. Now, he's not somebody who consistently wins high side with his speed and explosiveness and his bend, but there were a couple plays against the Colts specifically that I remember last year where he was able to penetrate really quickly and dip pretty damn low for somebody of his size from like a three technique or like a four eye position to feed the guard and then sack Carson Wentz. I don't know if he, I think he's definitely going to have a role on this team. And I think he's going to be one of those leaders on this team. Again, he, I don't even think he's 30, but he has been around for quite some time with the Raiders had 17 pressures last year, not the most explosive pass rusher. As I said, he's only 28 years old. I think he's going to have a solid role. Last year for Jacksonville, he played 455 snaps. In 2020, he played 297, and that was in Wink Martindale's system where he also had 17 pressures and three sacks. I uh, I do believe he will be used. I think he'll be used creatively in a variety of different ways because he is unique with his build and his versatility, but I don't necessarily think he's going to be a huge part of their pass rush. I think he'll be more of an early downs type of guy. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I just wonder if he has a little bit more experience here um, in a group that re- remains unex- inexperienced or just inexperienced within this specific system. So something to think about. I want to touch on something you brought up earlier, how, you know, I love to talk about the NFL trends and how defenses are moving and, you know, just different schematic changes that we've seen. You talk about how a lot more defenses are using those tight fronts and in a sense, almost daring teams to try to run counter and just try to take advantage of, you know, the running to the outside. Can you do it? I mean, it seems so good on paper, but then, you know, defense is closed. Defense is find ways to kind of take those away or just, you know, give them to the offenses, assuming, look, you're going to be able to get some yards on this, but it's not enough to really kill us in any way. It's not going to lead to an explosive play. What, you know, why do you, one, why do you think defenses are moving this direction? If it's as simple as just that, that's fine. And we can move on from that. But two, what do you need to counter that on offense? Really make defenses pay? Or is there really no solution? Cause you're just going to get, you know, X amount of yards, and it's never really going to lead to any kind of difference-making chunk gains. Yeah, so the tight front force, it it basically clogs from tackle to tackle. It's very hard to run in the A and the B gap when you're a defense who aligns in the tight front. So that's going to force you to go east and west rather than north and south running downhill. And when you have really good edge rushers who can set an edge and you have good secondary pieces who can come down and aggressively tackle, then you can force those running backs to bounce outside. And they're not going to be gaining a lot of yards because they're running diagonally towards the sideline. You can make a tackle maybe for like a two-yard gain if you can own the middle of the field. 
So that's one reason why we're seeing a little bit more of the type front. Another reason is you don't necessarily have to bring somebody else down into the box and you can align a little bit more in too high type of defenses, uh. which can also you know take away the offense's ability to create explosive plays. And you can do a lot of different diverse coverages on the back end. So there's just a lot more that you can do when you don't have to necessarily account for every single gap. Because there are times, there are teams, and we've seen it, defensive coordinators who love to, you know, right up the snap, even if it's going to be first down and they might run the football, they penetrate uphill. You know, they want to get that tackle for a loss and they penetrate uphill. Well, a lot of times in the tight front, they don't do that. They're a little bit more of, I'm just going to set I have my responsibility is the A gap. Say you you lock out, you set in the A gap, but you also keep you know your eyes on that backside A gap, and you're in the frontside A gap. Once that running back declares where they're going, you can then then close into that backside A gap, kind of like you're playing a gap and a half, which is something we've talked about a little bit on this defense. I know Brandon Staley plays a lot of gap and a half type of principles, and you're starting to see that a lot more in modern NFL. It's kind of something that Vic Fangio has been doing for a while. So that's one element of why teams will align in the tight front is because you can, it makes it easier for you to stop the run while also being able to limit explosive plays downfield. Yeah, it totally makes a lot of sense. We're seeing a lot of teams move in this direction, as you mentioned, though it doesn't appear like the giants are fully moving in that direction. Obviously they're not, the defensive style is not exactly stop explosive plays. It's dictate to the offense. At least it's going to be under Wink Martindale, which leads me to another question I had for you. Just just thinking about, you know, what, what would you say to fans who would say, this is not me. This is like a, this is one of those like fun hypotheticals, right? Nick, like let's say a fan came to us and said to you or me, but I'm going to bring it to you. What's the difference between what we're going to get now versus what we got from James Betcher? Because there were, there was a lot of bills being sold on what James Betcher was going to do that were very similar to the bills that are being sold now and what Wink Martindale is going to do. Yeah. They're two completely different coaches. And I know James Betcher, like the, the hot, phrase that giant fans were really talking about was pattern match that's what like everybody would always bring up those pattern match and you see a lot of pattern match type of concepts you saw pattern match concepts with patrick graham it's just i felt like james betchers might have been a little bit more i don't want to say advanced but complicated and it seemed like (laughs) a lot of seemed like a lot of younger players struggled with it we saw it pretty pretty extensively with DeAndre Baker, who never really Valentine. knew. No one could yeah. pick it up. <laughs> it, it was difficult to pick up. Wink Martindale, he's pro- like, I saw him have like, you know, two safety read coverages and things like that when they were in like a cover four type of concept. But he has more man coverage, just like country man coverage, if you want to yeah. call it that cover one type of concepts. Like, that's your guy. That's who you're covering. Like, there's still going to be pattern match. You align in three by one. You're going to come off. The, you know, you have the number two. If he goes to the flat, if he goes vertical, you carry him vertical. You know, you'll take the number three if the three goes to the flat, whatever, whatever your rules are within your defense. Like a lot of coordinators employ that, but I felt like Betcher relied a lot on it and <laughs> led to a freaking crap load of mistakes in 2019 for the New York Giants. Unfortunately, whereas Wink Martin does a little bit more, at least to my understanding, has a little bit more just simplified man coverage that your guy stick with him. Do not allow him to beat you. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think one thing I would add to that is really, really simple, but I think it's really true would be. He has more of a proven track record, Wink Martindale. Like he's done it for longer with a variety of different defensive players and a, you know, obviously a more stable base there with, with the Baltimore Ravens, a really good drafting team, but he has a better track record of doing it. And I think just from listening to both of the guys, Betcher and, and Wink Martindale, I think Wink can get across the get it get across the players a little bit better and can relate to them more. I think I was, you know, I, I'm guilty as well of, of falling for the Betcher trap. I thought he was going to do a great job here too, but you know, that was just a shorter track record. And I think, it. you know, he hasn't made much progress in his coaching career since leaving the Giants. So I don't think the Giants exactly made a mistake there. Yeah, neither do I. And I liked James Betcher. I liked that hire. It didn't work out. That that happens, you know. Another thing about Wink Martindale is I believe, and we, we heard this associated with Betcher, but I believe Wink Martindale is more apt to bring the pressure. Because you look at some of his pressure statistics. Like last year, he ran cover zero, the third most of any team. And he ran at 8% of the time, ran cover one 24% of the time. So there's a lot of man coverage that's built into that. He ran two-man coverage 2.5% of the time, which actually was top five in the league. I guess a lot of teams aren't running you know, just two-man. This is all according to pro football right. focus. So I think that is another aspect that we should consider. I think he's going to be much more, and this is not, you know, new news or novel or anything like that. Pressure breaks pipes and he's going to live by that. He's going to die by that. 
Yeah, that's a great point. We're going to see a, a really fun, different defense for the Giants this year. I think at times people are going to complain. I already know, I can already see it coming, Nick. Um, it's just the nature of the business and the nature of life when you don't have like, you know, Marlon Humphrey and Jimmy's all three yeah. lockdown corners there playing corner for you. And, you know, you're going to have some breakdowns where it's like, crap, we just gave up a 70 yard touchdown here or 70 yard play. But same time i've always felt like this and i kind of convinced myself otherwise but i've always felt like i'd rather be the defense that doesn't stay on the field for six minutes long and gets off the field remains you know get keeps their endurance and stamina a little more gives up the touchdown but at the same time you know can get off the field and put the offense back on the field it's going to be a whole different style of of game for the giants and for the fans and i i Obviously, the offense has to play their part in this, too, because the offense will need to be more explosive to keep up with a, a more boomer bust style defense. But I'm excited to see it. Let me ask you about let, let's let me circle back to the interior guys here. What would you say to fans who say, uh, look, <laughs> both you and Nick were pretty excited last year when the Giants signed. Um, oh, crap. What's his name? The dude from Danny Detroit, Shelton, Danny Shelton. And. Really, we lost a lot going from Dalvin Tomlinson and Danny Shelton. Like, we knew we were going to lose a lot. You were the biggest proponent of it. I mean, you saw it on the tape. I saw it too, but you really saw and really went to bat for Tomlinson. And we did lose a lot there. But now we go to Justin Ellis. Are we sure that he's going to be able to kind of, I mean, he's obviously not going to be Dalvin Tomlinson, but we're sure he's going to be able to make up enough ground that he's not Danny Shelton level bad. Because they don't really, I mean, DJ Davidson's now on the roster. I'm not super thrilled or high on him. Christopher Hinton, maybe, I, I don't know, but they don't really have too many other options that I trust besides Ellis. I can't say that I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, Justin Ellis, he's somebody that I feel like, you know, he's just a big space eater. He's tough. He's going to be able to anchor down. Like I was so shocked that Danny Shelton couldn't even anchor down I know. against a double team. He was getting pushed back like five yards sometimes. And that's, you know, I looked at his tape in Detroit. His tape in Detroit was a lot better than his tape here in New York. It didn't work out. I can't say with any sort of certainty that Justin Ellis is going to be fine, even though he has the experience playing with Wink Martindale. We're going to have to see that happen. I'm not opposed personally to the Giants going out and signing a defensive lineman on the cheap, a veteran defensive lineman, and having him compete. And I like some of these back-end defensive linemen that we haven't brought up yet. You know, DJ Davidson, that's that's a rookie. Christopher Hinton, I think he could be a really surprise run defender who could possibly make the team just for his ability to be a fire hydrant in the middle of the field. I think uh, like Jalen Holmes is a little bit more, you know, I'm going to penetrate up field. Same with David Moa and Jabari Ellis, the UDFA out of South Carolina. But I wouldn't, I'm not opposed to them going out and adding somebody to this roster at the defensive line position, just in case. You want some insurance. And I'm writing a piece for Big Blue View right now, and I threw a name in there, and it's probably wildly unrealistic. But if he is willing to play on a smaller contract, which I'm not sure if he is, he's coming off of a contract that was two years, like $17 million, Linville Joseph, I would love to bring him back to New York. And I don't know if he would ever want to come back in the sense that we can't afford him right now with like $5 million in cap space that we have. But if he was willing to take a cheap deal to play with Andre Patterson, who he played with for multiple years in the team that made him a second round pick, I would welcome him back. But I think it's a little bit pie in the sky. Ooh, I like that idea a lot because I am a little bit worried. I think it's interesting with these older, with these older veteran interior defensive linemen guys, like, you know, Shelton, there was no way we could have predicted what happened last year to happen. Like you said, when we watched, the reason we were pretty excited about him is because we're like, we see something on his film at Detroit, and now he gets to play with Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence next to him. This is great. Like, there's this no pressure position. And you're right, he was just getting destroyed off the ball. It was like, this guy's just washed. He's done. He's not in it. His, maybe his mind or body, whatever it may be, wasn't in it anymore. I'm not going to say that's going to happen with Justin Ellis. It's, it's coin flip at this point, or, or better. I mean, I think he can improve, improve on that for sure. It's not a coin flip, but you know, there's no guarantee and they should have some depth there because it's such an important role right now within this defense or any defense. That doesn't mean you go out and you draft somebody to plug the middle with their first round pick because you can find them in other rounds, but you want to get youth there. You want to find someone on day three there pretty often to replenish that. And the Giants haven't done it in a while. Obviously, Dexter Lawrence, that was a first round pick back in 2019, but he's not playing that exact role for this or we don't expect him to at least um, as of now. So yeah, I would be interested in bringing Linville Joseph would be a really good addition to this team, but you know, maybe the Giants have the kind of cap room, at least according to David Carr, they're going to have plenty of cap room. They might go out and get Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, David Carr, who consistently ranks Derek Carr within the top three quarterbacks whenever he has to do his top five quarterback rankings. You, I, it's always great when you have like these NFL Network top five quarterbacks at the time, like 
there's graphics on this. David Carr is just like consistently ranking Derek Carr three, four, five. It's just um, just amazing to rank your brother there. I like, can just think like no one's going to notice that or make any or think anything of that. But yeah, apparently the Giants are in the market for Jimmy Garoppolo and his massive salary. Um, Which is right. just an insane take. But, you know, he is a Super Bowl <laughs> great, that car. Yeah, he is. He yeah. is. He's actually a former Giant, too. Yeah, he won the Super Bowl with the Giants yep. in 2011. Exactly. But, yeah, that was a wild take. I just, like, casually scrolled through Twitter one day, and I was like, what? what why are a bunch of Giant fans talking about Giants? <laughs> like, any of these takes just get, like, talked about so much on Giants Twitter. It's it's amazing. Giants Twitter will run with anything. I saw, like, t- yesterday or something. El Jefe, El, El Jefe, who I like a lot. He posted something about Daniel Jones with a beard or something. And then it turned into like other people posting about Daniel Jones with a beard. And then like there was this whole thing about how El Jefe was mad about people posting with them, taking the photo and posting it. And the other guys are defending himself. And then everybody's going back and forth. And there's like my, my Twitter feed now, Nick, is like, and I'm sick. I'm waking up from a, a horrible sickness. And then my first 12 posts are literally just are arguments about can you post this picture about Daniel Jones with a beard? It's just literally a picture of Giants quarterback with a beard. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> what am I learning from this? What am I gaining? How, how is my day getting better by looking, scrolling through 12 straight posts about Daniel Jones with a beard? I don't know. I don't know how it becomes a thing, but that's Giants sort of for you. And, and, I, and, I, and look, no, no knock on El Jefe or anyone involved in that because I myself have been involved in some terrible, terrible, pointless uh, arguments on Giants Twitter. I know you find a way to like avoid all them, Nick. You're very good at not getting involved with any of the trolls. I myself am not as good. I've gotten a little bit better, actually a lot better because it should have seen me back in the day before the mute button. But, you know, look, I just find it so funny. Giants Twitter will take anything, especially if it's Daniel Jones related. I feel like that's really the hot talking point. Yeah, Daniel Jones is a pretty contentious individual for a starting quarterback here, but I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. I didn't see any of what you were talking about. I'm not on Twitter, I guess, oh, nice. too, too much. I'm a big that, fan. Of, I, I do like El Jefe, man. I, I, oh, I, like I love him, him too. He's the yeah, man. He's guy. my boy. Dan, I was going to ask you, because there's two names that come up, and they're kind of technically linebackers, if you want to look at them that way, but they have the ability and the experience at playing edge, and that's Cam Brown and Carter Coffin. What do you think? 2022 is going to be for these two players. Do you expect them both to make this team or what is your opinion on them? I think Cam Brown has a really good shot to make the team because he brings something to this new coaching staff and this new regime that can be replicated across different regimes, different systems, and that's special teams ability. And that doesn't go away. And that is value, you know, especially by it's not just by this current roster, by a new one. It's, it's, it's was valued obviously highly by the Joe judge that uh, error. We knew, we knew that, but you know, if you're coming in and you're installing a new regime, you have a guy busting his butt every day on special teams. You're going to notice that. It doesn't really matter if they think he can offer anything, um, you know, from a pass rushing standpoint. Or Though I do think he can offer something potentially as like an overhang guy, somebody who can drop and flip his hips and drop in coverage, which might have some value like you talked about before, right? Like, you know, they have guys, they, but do they really want to use Kayvon Thibodeau in that, in that fashion? Maybe that's how he finds a niche. I don't know. Carter Coughlin, I feel like, has a... I less like, you know, I think there's a chance that Carter Coughlin doesn't make this roster. If I'm going to be completely honest, that one I feel like is more likely, especially I don't know exactly what they're going to do with Darian Beavers. That's kind of the one that stands out to me, like what kind of role he'll have if he's moved to the edge, potentially that could ultimately impact Carter Coughlin's chances of making the roster. I would think if I had to guess right now, Nick, and I'm curious to get your take on this, I would say Cam Brown will make the roster. I had gone to my head. I would say Coughlin doesn't make the roster. See, I, I find this fascinating, and I know we're dipping into the linebackers, which will be on a future podcast, but it's it's relevant because these linebackers who are classified as linebackers are they can be edge rushers too if you want them to be. And it just kind of speaks to the versatility of modern defenses and just modern football in general. Like you have a guy like Jihad Ward, who is the size of a three technique playing edge. You have players like Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin who are gonna be competing for spots with Tom and Fox, who is an edge rusher, with O'Shane Zimenez, who is an edge rusher. And those are two names that we haven't mentioned yet, but I do believe you can kind of group those four players in and then kind of weigh the pros and cons as to what they can offer the team. Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin offer ability to play linebacker. They can offer the ability to play edge. Cam Brown, a little bit more specifically, has a lot of value on special teams. So I do believe he will make this roster. And also you're six foot five, 225 pounds. You can move really well and you have like 34 inch arms, which is like 98th percentile. Like that that's rare. I think you want to keep a player like that on your roster. 
But Carter Coughlin, O'Shane Zimenez, and Tom and Fox, I mean, you look at those three, and then you can even throw Nico Lalos into this. I don't expect Nico Lalos to make this team. But do you think those three would be battling, or do you think Carter Coughlin is is more of a quote-unquote linebacker right now? I know it's a little bit difficult to opine on this because we haven't seen Carter Coughlin in a while due to injury. Yeah, the injuries have played a factor, and I just don't know how the new regime views him, especially given you know some of his limitations from an arm-like standpoint as just a pure edge. If they if they think he's ready to move inside, they have more competition than you than they used to, at least in my mind, on the inside, especially with Blake back in the mix. Um, so it, I think that's just one of the things I'll be looking forward to in training camp. That second level to me remains ambiguous, with the exception of obviously what we expect from the big three. The big three being Ojolari, Thibodeau, and Blake Martinez, but I, I, I'm curious to see. I, I won't be surprised, though, if he doesn't make it. All these holdovers coming from the, the previous regime, uh, you know, with the exception of, of Allison Smith, who I'm just I'm just going to label as my boy. I just have I'm just hoping <laughs> that I'm just hoping he can be the guy I, I think he can be. All them to me, you know, their their roster spots are, are tenuous or I, I just I have to see how this defense looks in camp to know. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're so fascinated about this camp specifically. I mean, last year, like we, we were excited. I think I'm excited every year training camp rolls around, but there's so much change right now. There's so many different body types and, and personnel that was added to this roster that I'm just not 100% certain how the Giants are going to go about it. And there's a lot of relationships too. Like Andre Patterson has a relationship with Jalen Holmes. You have Justin Ellis, who is definitely more fit to play that nose tackle, who has a relationship with Wink Martindale. And then you have a lot of these just young guys who all have the opportunity of a lifetime to make this team. Guys like Christopher Hinton, even Ryder Anderson, who we haven't talked a lot about, Tom and Fox, and Ellison Smith, as you said. He was a fourth-round pick in 2021. That was not this past draft, but the draft before that. I would like to think that he's definitely a certainty to make this team, but in reality, he isn't. Like yeah, He could have a really point. bad camp, you know? He could get that's injured again. Point. So I, I, if I'm a bet man, I'm going to say he's going to make the team and that O'Shane Zimenez won't make this team, but anything can happen. Like it's kind of like a new fresh slate right here. And there are a lot of names behind Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Aziz Ojolari, and Kayvon Thibodeau. And I would probably group Jihad Ward in there that will have an opportunity to really impress and actually make this squad because a lot of these other guys are going to be fighting for position to, to earn these roster spots that are going to be very valuable because it's a lot more competitive this season than it has been in prior years, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point, Nick. I think one thing we always have to consider is the changeover in regime because ultimately, me and you really like Dawson Smith, right? Like, you were onto him really early on as a sleeper. We're high on him. We're both high on him. But we'd be remiss if we don't at least admit that the, that the regime that drafted him got a lot of things really badly wrong. Like, right, this is the same GM that drafted two first-round receivers that later were had to be tried to convert it to tight end and are now, like, out of the NFL, Funches and, and Kelvin Benjamin. Like, there's so many picks that, that that were just total busts, total mistakes, total just misses. And so it's not like we can just shoo in, say that this guy drafted in the fourth round, day three, which in general is not a huge hit rate across the NFL, let alone if you're a good GM or a bad GM, if you have a good track record or a bad track record. It's possible the new regime is just like, this guy just doesn't fit what we wanted to at all. Like, we'd rather... We'd rather give that roster spot to someone we handpicked that maybe, you know, looked at as, oh, this guy's just a UDFA or this guy's just the X round pick. Maybe he doesn't seemingly have as much talent, but to them, they feel like he can do better within their system. And so you're right. I shouldn't even chew him in as well, but I'll just remain cautiously optimistic. Nick. I, I'm, I'm more cautiously optimistic than I should be as always about the Giants. This year, I feel like it's a little more warranted based on the schedule, but we'll see how that goes. I want to close out with this though, Nick. I, I got one more thing yeah, on Ellison Smith because I think it, it's relevant and I'm not trying to just give credit to, to the Dave Gettleman regime because it was an obvious disaster. I don't think there's any disputing that, but I understand the draft selection of Ellerson Smith, even if it doesn't work out because this is somebody who you can look at who had all the athletic physical capabilities that you need in an edge rusher all the length in the world a six foot six 245 pound athletic freak who didn't play football for an entire year and just went down to a senior bowl event and performed his ass off you're talking about a day three selection on an upside swing like that that to me makes a ton of sense it might not work out he could get cut after this training camp but I still understand why you would want to add a young talent like that to your edge rushing room to just try and see what you can get out of them. So I just kind of wanted to put that out there because yeah, for sure. 
even though he played at Northern Iowa, man, 62 pressures and 11 sacks in that senior season is, is pretty impressive stuff considering all the other physical attributes that he possesses. And again, I, I, we we're high on him and we remain high on him. I think Gettleman could have found the Giants a hit there. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping he did because he did have some hits along the way. It wasn't all, all misses, but you know, some of the bigger ones were obviously yeah, not, not very good. We, we know the state <laughs> of the Giants and the state of the teams that he, that he left, like the, the Panthers roster completely collapsed. Um, you know, I, he inherited a nice one, but it collapsed. Um, anyway, let's get to this. Let's close with this. Kayvon Thibodeau, my boy. I am, I've learned just from looking at Giants Twitter and, and listening to some other podcasts on the Giants. I'm going to ultimately end up being higher on Thibodeau as a rookie than I think anyone else. I saw some people take the under. I think it was uh, shout out talking Giants. They took an under on seven and a half sacks, which is fair. Like, I get it. Look, no one on the Ravens top eight last year. So it's totally fair. But I don't know, man. I, I just, the more I think about him and what he offers as a prospect, I feel like his traits, his tools are translatable. They're not going to be, he needs to adjust to the speed of the game. They're not going to be, you know, they can be schemed around. You can double team him. And I'm sure eventually teams will do that potentially. But given how easy the Giants' schedule is, some of the quarterbacks that they're facing, like the Carson Wentz's of the world, who take a whole lot of sacks, the Jalen Hurts's of the world, who, you know, are viewed as a running quarterback, but I think can hold on to the ball for a little too long. I think he's going to have a really, really good season. I love Kayvon Thibodeau as a defensive rookie of the year pick. I think you can get pretty good odds on him right now. No one wants to pick a Giant for defense rookie of the year. What are your expectations for Thibodeau in year one? Would you take the over under on uh, seven and a half sacks, for example? I think seven and a half is a good number because we all look at Aziz Ojolari, who had eight sacks last year, and we're like, oh, wow, you know, like, of course, Kayvon Thibodeau is going to beat that. And it's like, is he though? Like, a lot. I don't want to say those sacks were fluky or anything, but like two of them came at the end of yeah. the Panthers game. You know, there, there were some that 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 it's not as translatable. And Aziz Ojolari was in the right place at the right time. And then there were others that were really impressive, where he won. You know, within two seconds of the snap or two and a half seconds of the snap. Right. So, I if you look at both those players, I think Kayvon Thibodeau is the better player. Now, if I were to cement according to the scheme and everything like that will cave on Thibodeau have more than seven and a half sacks I might go I might go less but I, I say that and I want to acknowledge the fact that I do believe he can have double digit sacks I think it's within the range of outcomes I just don't know what the most plausible and likely scenario is because I look at this scheme and I do understand that a lot of opposing offenses are going to look at cave on Thibodeau and be like well, we want to stop that guy because he's really good, which is going to create a lot of one-on-one matchups for Aziz Ojolari right. when a lot of focus is going to cave on. And then you know Wink Martindale is going to acknowledge and understand that. So he's going to bring pressure to the opposite side of Kayvon Thibodeau, resulting in sacks from, say, the weak side of the formation where there's a tight end chipping Kayvon and then the left tackle taking care of Kayvon Thibodeau, you know? I wouldn't be surprised if he like hits like seven. And I also wouldn't be surprised if he gets 12. That's kind of where I'm at. I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I think we just got to wait and see at this moment. And I'll tell you this, I'm damn excited. I'm freaking excited and ecstatic about the fact that the Giants landed a talent like Kayvon Thibodeau. And if it doesn't result in 10 sacks, I'm not going to hold it against the kid whatsoever, unless he's just terrible, which I do not envision. Yeah, that's fair. I understand the whole idea of, look, schematically, Aziz Ojai should have a much easier time than, than Kayvon Thibodeau. It's not like it it's not a guarantee that it's going to be like Thibodeau proves himself as a dominant force and then defense adjusts. It might just be right away. Week one defenses know the name and they do everything they can to stop him. But to me, I feel like based on this defense and, and where they're going to be bringing pressure from, but also just based on Kayvon Thibodeau, he's going to have a chance to really rack up a lot of counting stats. And it's just, a, it's just a matter of a defense taking more chances and being more aggressive. So Versus a lot of other rookies that aren't going to be within that system. I don't know. I just feel pretty confident about And I just feel confident about the player, too. Uh, I'm just taking an optimistic approach on here. I get it, though. I, I totally get it. Like, things are going to be easier on the other side, especially for Aziz. So we'll have to see what happens there. I think that's smart. But I also trust Wink Martindale to set Kayvon Thibodeau up in certain situations, certain third. Right. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, like I think he's going to be put in a position to succeed. But if you do historically go back to Wink Martindale's defenses dating back to 2018, he never really has an edge rusher who just absolutely dominates with sacks. Right. Now, Kayvon Thibodeau could buck that trend. Just because it didn't happen doesn't mean it can't happen. So we'll have to wait and see if that does materialize. Even someone like Owe, who had a fantastic year last year, 
You know, he only had five sacks. And that's according to Pro Football Focus. So it could have been four and a half because for whatever reason, Pro Football Focus counts half sacks as full sacks. Tyus Bowser led the team, though, with eight sacks according to Pro Football Focus. Now, I think Thibodeau can do that from the Sam position, from that versatile spot. But we'll have to wait and see. You know, I don't think it's a certainty, although I do believe his skill set easily achieved that. Yeah, I guess for me, almost part of it is like, I agree that the history doesn't bode well for for a big sack guy, but I don't feel like he's really had any talent anywhere close to Thibodeau. Like people say, oh, Matthew Judon. I think Judon was a part, a bit of a product of that system in some ways. I know he's continued success with the Patriots, but that's a similar system. And I feel like the Ravens haven't really had that level of talent of Thibodeau. And I don't think Mink Varndale specifically has had that level exactly as Thibodeau. And I think he supersedes it to some extent. And I really think it could be sky's a limit for him right away. Hit the ground running. I'm pretty excited about it. So we'll see what happens. Maybe I'm overly excited. So it, it's always possible. You never know. But that's all we have for today on the Edge Defensive Line Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the Big Blue Banter Podcast. More previews coming. We're going to do an all-time Giants draft as well. Might That might dip into maybe the first week of training camp. We'll see how things go and how my health improves. Uh, made it through today's podcast, which felt good. So thanks again for tuning in and listening. Thank you for the support. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.